Welcome in to the second of our Edge Kingsland uh, podcast lockdown edition and we are continuing to talk about the idea of wholeness uh, through the lens of the idea of holiness with a W. Uh, and today we are talking with Shirley Pastoroff who is a counsellor and a mindfulness trainer in Auckland. I think you're in Auckland, aren't you, Shirley? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for having a chat with us today. Pleasure. Um, I'd love to start with a question, I guess a, a, an overarching question around this idea of wholeness itself and perhaps for you um, and kind of the, the, your worldview and your ideas that shape uh, your work, um, what comes to mind for you when you think of a term like wholeness uh, that we're discussing at the moment? Um, I love, I think I love the word wholeness now in a way that has been a bit of a journey for me, um, both personally and professionally, but I grew up, um, I think I grew up in the church with quite a strong idea that I'm not sure who taught it to me, that my journey was towards wholeness mm. and that one day I might, might get there if I believed strongly enough or worked hard enough in lots of the teachings kind of tried to steer me away from that I think but I think many of us ended up with that understanding and now I have a really different one um, which I find much more life-giving which is wholeness means being that there is a completeness to each one of us all this is all human beings mm. And it's kind of like a, a gift that we all have inside of us. And we do an awful lot in our lives to uh, put stuff over the top of it, to decorate it, to um, lose sight of it. Um, and my work is to help, help people come home to their pre-existing essential wholeness, their completeness. Um, and there's many, many different journeys, some uh, more helpful than others, I think, to that. Mm. And there are days where I can't get anywhere near my wholeness, even though I am convinced it's there inside me and other days where I sense it. Um, and one of the words, so in, in Hebrew, one of the uh, kind of interpretations of the word shalom is, is whole, mm. but it's also uh, uh, means peace and so for me one of the indications for me that I'm just touching around the edges of my essential wholeness is a deep feeling of peace mm. inside so those two words go very well together in our and our uh, a physical sensation in my body much more now than some kind of uh, cognitive idea as it used to be when I was when I was a little bit younger mm. So that's quite, um, or a contrast, I suppose, with that, I think, quite um, troublesome or problematic idea within some streams of faith that we are yeah. kind of fundamentally broken and um, depraved, is often the theological word, used to try and describe just how sort of awful we are at the core of ourselves. And yeah. so it's the scramble to try and sort of fix that, and Jesus becomes a bit of a sort of a, a plug on top of that to help. Mm, um, yeah. sort of cover over, if you like, the fundamental um, yeah. brokenness. Um, but what you're talking about in terms of a, of a coming home to a sense of wholeness that is, is there, it, um, has that contrast then for you made quite some difference in your, your own journey of self? Uh, yes, I think the shift in my understanding happened a few years ago mm. and the journey to the experience of that is much, much slower. So... I'm sure we'll talk a bit about this, but um, the way that our brain pathways shift and grow and change from uh, ideologies or belief systems that have been there for a long time is incremental and it's fairly can be fairly consistent, but it's slow. Mm. And so we can change the way that we think about things quite quickly, but to change the sensations in our limbic system or emotions in our somatic or body take a bit of time so I think for me there almost was a striving element even in the middle of this journey of feeling like well now I know that I'm whole now I can't find it mm. Mm. so it almost became this art of subtraction of trying to get all the things out of the way that were 
obstacles to me experiencing my own wholeness and and now I'm at a place which is still only I think really early stages of Mm. hopefully a lifelong journey where that sensation of settling into what already exists is is work absolutely but it's more simple practices that um, bring me back home uh, Mm. in a way that I can now access on most maybe some some to most of my days definitely not on my worst days I can't get anywhere near it Mm. Um, but I my experience of sensing both my own wholeness but also one of the key pieces for me here is that I have absolute belief in the wholeness of everybody else that I meet now Mm. and that's actually a really one it's a really lovely non-judgmental approach to others but also it's a cycle that builds in speed so if I meet others who I am utterly convinced are whole then I see myself as whole in their eyes Mm. and them as whole in mine and so there's a sort of um uh contagious process to that in the same way that if I see I'm broken and I think that maybe you're broken and we both need to help fix each other that can be a contagious cycle in the opposite direction Mm, mm. um yeah that's really interesting I uh I I work a lot in the the world of ideas uh and so uh and and at times for myself personally I can twig on to an idea quite quickly I guess because that's what I've been trained to do Uh, and so I, I resonate with that that sense that you can understand something, but that doesn't mean it has been inhabited or genuinely experienced or uh, or there's a sense of settling in or tuning in to that. So um, sometimes I think someone like me, and perhaps in the West generally, where we're pretty wired towards our brains and ideas in particular as being the solution to everything. Yeah. Um, sometimes knowing the thing can become a... A, uh, an ex- uh, a replacement for for actually experiencing the thing perhaps yeah. um, and know. sometimes even more than that in the sense of um, one of my favorite phrases I think it's made us wiser neurotics it <laughs> simply means that the more ideas we have about how we can change and the less able we are to change the more crazy we feel or the more disappointed in ourselves wow we can become and some Mm. of the people who struggle the most that I know and I was absolutely one of them are and I hope you're not one of them but are ideas people people that Mm. go to workshops that go to learning venues whether they be churches or conferences and hearing more and more about the possibility of a much richer life than the one that we're experiencing but somehow not being get being able to make the transition from information Mm. to transformation Mm. is actually not a neutral stage it's a it's got dynamism to it in the opposite direction mm. to wholeness. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk with you about was, um, I guess, the, the world we are currently living in, and that's <laughs> uh, that's, that's a big – I don't mean the we're going, not going to talk about the entire world and all of its problems, but um, <laughs> we haven't got enough time for that. Uh, yeah. But uh, there's, I guess – a there's some significant shifts that have taken place in recent decades in particular in terms of the kind of lives that we're living and the forces, if you like, both external and perhaps internal that are, that are shaping our experience of life. Uh, one of those has been this kind of burgeoning technology that has um, meant, well, we're having this conversation over over such technology at the moment. Uh, and so there are some real benefits to it. I don't, I don't want to sort of approach this in some kind of all of this stuff is bad in itself, but but certainly all change has um, impact, right? Yeah. Um, so as we think about um, the change that's kind of come upon us f- from that point of view and how that's infiltrated every aspect of our lives in many cases, um, what kind of impact do you see that having on us, whether that's positive or, or negative or, or whatever? Yeah, and I think you're right there that the technology inherently pretty neutral Mm. in terms of some kind of uh, good or bad energy to it Mm. but in terms of um, the sort of risk factors and resiliency factors around stress stress um, technology and sort of 24 7 accessibility and being part of a global world particularly visually um, definitely seems to be landing in the risk Mm. factors particularly for certain 
age groups, um, particularly for the adolescents, um, just that uh, season of identity. Uh, uh, creating identity and comparing with others is one of the ways that we create identity mm. um, is the you know pre-social media or technology as it is now the number of people that one could visually see in order to compare with was really reduced mm -hmm. um, compared to what you know is endless now and mm. similarly for parents I work with a lot of parents and that ability to compare every recipe every internal decor every child behavior with what apparently uh is going on in other people's homes uh is generally fits in the risk category sometimes with resilience for some people it's really life-giving mm. and uh you know zoom during lockdown is an amazing gift mm. to have um so the way that i work with people in the way that I find it helpful to understand is through a lens of how the brain works rather than how technology works right. so we're looking at how uh, our brain responds to triggers and beginning to recognize what actually are triggers for us so that it's not the whole of technology or the whole of uh, the to-do list um, or the over-crammed schedule. There will be aspects to it that are triggering slightly deeper things in the brain than just uh, having too much to do or being overstimulated. Mm -hmm. So I, obviously on a podcast, you can't see this, but I'm holding my fist up here. I've got um, my thumb in the palm of my hand and then my four fingers over the top of my thumb holding it uh, like a fist. And you can find this um, online on, uh, with a guy called Dan Siegel, who talks about flipping the lid. Mm -hmm. It's a very simple idea, which is around the base of my hand here represents the brain stem. So the forearm is your spinal column. The brain stem, which is your fight flight response, is the primal part of the brain, the oldest part of the brain. Every uh, crocodile has one, every mm -hmm. because the reptilian brain. And then in the middle here, nestled in here, the thumb is the limbic brain, which is the seat of the emotions. It's where the amygdala is, which is our fight flight sensor, if mm -hmm. you like. And this is known as the mammalian brain because mammals have quite a bit of limbic brain and then over the top here is the prefrontal cortex which is predominantly human apes have a tiny bit of this this is our reasoning ideas as you said mm. our thinking rational um, language all of those things are in the top part of our brain and when we're functioning without stress then all three brains are working really well together it means that the brain stem is not being triggered in any shape or form and the brain is feeling safe so there are two states the brain can be in really safe and unsafe it's okay. a pretty basic system mm. and when the brain feels safe this system will trigger serotonin oxytocin dopamine which are the lovely i call them green brain hormones so in the training that i do um, at renew your mind where i work we use green orange red for the brain so this is the green brain um, where your emotions are feeling calm, where you're not triggered into feelings of fight or flight or any form of danger, and your prefrontal cortex is just enjoying being a thinking human being. Mm -hmm. Now, as soon as a trigger comes along that the brainstem recognizes, it flips up the prefrontal cortex because this is supposed to be based around an idea of, of life-threatening threat. So there's a child in the road, you've got to get them out of the road. You're in the road, you've got to get yourself out of the road. Mm -hmm. um, you, you're in Kabul, you're trying to get out. Like mm -hmm. the thinking brain is not what you need at this stage. You need muscles, you need heart rate, you need blood pressure. You need to be in a position to save somebody or save yourself or get out of the situation. It's the tiger in the jungle brain. Um, unfortunately, because it's such a simplistic system, it also flips up when we've got too many emails or where we've just been on Facebook and seen somebody with, uh, you know, a better body than ours or better behaved children than ours, it flips up when we're feeling um, nervous about COVID and what's going to happen. Mm. And that could be life-threatening threat or not. So there are gray areas here, but in modern Western society, most of our triggers are non-life-threatening and quite often carry on for long periods of time. Mm. So the brain is not actually designed to be in the state of fight flight for any longer than a tiger in the jungle would suggest. Right. You know, some yeah. hours, 
yes. possibly some days if it's a flood or a war or something like that. But mm. generally, there's a settling back down to this sense of shalom, mm. which is the whole brain, which sends all the messages of peace and safety to the rest of the body. Right. Um, so in red brain, we've got cortisol and adrenaline running through the system. And so what we are attempting to do when it's a non-life-threatening threat is to have practices that help the prefrontal cortex come back down again so that we can function back in a problem-solving capacity rather than a stressed state. Right. Because they're very, they're very different. Um, so the whole brain doesn't mean happy all the time. It could be problem-solving. It can be working hard, but it doesn't feel a sense of threat. Mm. Um, and just to throw in here, orange brain, which is a sort of additional brain state that sits somewhere between the two, is a brain state that we recognize in um, busy lives, which is a distracted, busy, non-mindful brain. doesn't necessarily feel stressed, but it's borderline. So it right. means you could be whizzing around doing all sorts of things, but you're not really focused on the task in front of you. Mm -hmm. So you're talking to your child, but you're doing the food shop in the back of your mind or you're playing with um your child and hoping that their nap time is coming around really really soon <laughs> i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> no idea exactly <laughs> or if you don't have kids you could just be desperately waiting for lockdown to be over and not mm. actually have accepted and settled into this is this is rather than so it's called what is rather than what if right so the orange brain is not good at what is um, and lots and lots of mindfulness training goes into trying to get the orange brain back to green because mm -hmm. it's not actually orange brain isn't beneficial. Mm. Um, we get more done in green brain than we do in orange brain. But more importantly, coming back to your question about technology and availability, if we live in an orange brain state, moving from this to that to the other, both in terms of action, but more significantly where our brain jumps, mm -hmm. the more our brain jumps in any given day, any given hour, two things happen. The first is it tires us out. So it uses up energy every time our brain changes direction. And the second is it's possible and probable that it's jumping between stressful ideas mm. rather than pleasant ones. So if your brain is jumping between, I'm so lucky, we're so lucky to be in New Zealand and we've got this to look forward to and, you know, blah, 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 fine. But mostly it's going flip hand. When am I going to go to the shops? When is the queue less than an hour long? How am I going to get a two and a half year old through lockdown? Mm -hmm. It, You know, I'm not ready for this. I've got a deadline that I'm missing. So it's trickling cortisol into the system. Mm. So tiredness and cortisol, if we live in an orange brain, state and then if something comes along that's really hard like a social media post of something that we weren't invited to it will trigger red brain very quickly even though we may not be in an unsafe brain state right. so the difference i guess with a busier life now has very little necessarily to do with the moralities no. of that busier life it just means our brain is um is not well supported to slow down and experience enough green brain that we can then maybe move into orangey red on really difficult busy days. Many people are now currently functioning in a sort of default setting of orange, which is uh, not just difficult for mental health, but very difficult actually for physical energy and vitality and fullness. Right, so that's, you know, in some sense, because I, I hear sometimes the sort of, you know, like say the criticism of first world problems, for example, yeah. um, you know, uh, where we encounter things that in the broad scale of human history might not be considered uh, catastrophic events, right? Yeah. And yet these things can be, in, you know, incredibly difficult to negotiate or to navigate. Um, and and so I guess what I'm hearing you say is that that and correct me if I'm wrong, but that constant living in the orange state makes yeah. us much more um, vulnerable, vulnerable in, in some sense yeah. or, or much more easily um, triggered into that heightened fight or flight response uh, on, yeah. a, on a constant basis. And that, yeah. that makes life in itself in a, in a 
sort of a relentless kind of way something that that can be a stressful and anxious experience yeah yeah Mm. it it can lead to a real sense of survival surviving rather than thriving When I am just sitting there, um, just scrolling, my my wife and I call it mindless scrolling. Were you mindless scrolling? Um, <laughs> and and you know, you almost don't. I think the the sort of hab- habit or ritual of just pulling the device out uh, and just scrolling. And I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't. I don't think I'm looking for anything. There's nothing in there that's going to really make me feel you know great most of the time. Yeah. Um, but I but I do that anyway. Just I don't know to fill the space, perhaps, or to distract me from some other feeling. Um, is is that sort of another another thing that's adding to that orange state when when I'm just it's just brain is in multiple places spinning through these things? Um, uh, yes and no. I mean, I think we could get really purist about this mm. and say. You only have 24 hours in the day. You want, you know, eight hours to sleep and eight to play and eight to work and all of that. And if it's not work or play or rest, then what's what's it benefiting your life? Mm-hmm. But there's also a kind of a little bit more of a laid back approach that says if you're not coming off it triggered, if it's not leaving you in a state of uh, negative self-comparison if it's not triggering those deeper core beliefs that all of us carry of mm. not being good enough or not being important enough or if it's in a in a slightly fake way making you feel those things so that your actual real life feels mundane and dissatisfying mm. if it's not doing any of those things then I sort of feel like life's a bit too short to try and get really really perfect mm. about mindfulness or wholeness So, you know, I work with enough people for whom these things are a a full-on addiction. Mm. Um, And the letting go of them is what absolutely needs to happen to find out what what the pain is underneath Mm. that we can move towards with nurture and care rather than distract from. But if it's just a bit of a, you know, something that you do from time to time or even on a daily basis but doesn't doesn't leave you feeling low or... Mm critical towards yourself afterwards and especially if it's a little bit of a joke between you and your (laughs) wife then I think hey you know there are bigger things to to spend our time actually putting the energy Mm. in to develop our sense of you know if I guess that bottom line piece of if it makes you feel separate from your essential imago day wholeness after you scroll then (laughs) Let's do something about it. Mm-hmm. If it really, if it, if it's just an idea that it might not be a great use of your time, then I think, oh, let's just relax. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good. I, um, you mentioned a little bit earlier about, um, you know, in particular in adolescence, the some of the challenges that people might experience in the the current world we find ourselves. Do you, do these different? How do these different stages of life or or uh, periods of of our psychosocial development, if you like, that we that we go through as human beings. How do they present us with some of those different challenges in relation to some of the stress and anxiety that we experience? Mm. Do you think? Do you mean particularly in connection to technology? Um, yeah, perhaps so, and 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 perhaps not just technology, but the 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 kind of the accessibility that that brings. I suppose that the demand that that can um, mm. place on us, but that demand does look different um, depending yeah. on. What kind of life we're living, I suppose. Do you do you, I guess do you yeah. see the impact of that that playing out differently with different stages of, of life? Yeah, I, I think so. I definitely think that um, there are there's a sort of cutoff point for um, you know me and a generation or so below me who I guess had the luxury of growing up without social media mm. and um, don't have quite so much um, onslaught on our uh, sense of self, um, that our identity hasn't kind of been shattered into quite so many possible possible different selves. And and it was hard enough for me growing up, so I can only imagine what um, it's doing internally to adolescents. But we, we do know quite clearly that, um, you know, this is all kind of going back to attachment theory is that in the first hundred days of a child's life, that idea of wholeness is, is 
I wouldn't say unrecoverable from, from at all, but I would say it is a key period of time where if a child feels an unconditional sense of acceptance in the world, that their relationship with technology and with um, possible different versions of themselves will be very different. Mm. And as, as, as childhood goes on, as um, if parents are either really busy or really have bought into some idea that children are to achieve, behave, um, and love them. <laughs> so the opposite mm. to what they're actually there for, which is to be nurtured and cared for and just be curious about and unconditionally accepted, that the child's brain will grow with much, much more fragility mm. and vulnerability to um, the uh, media as it's rolled out in their lives. And again, mm. age and stage, different families do it in different ways. But in a sense, it's good news. It means that if we take care of our young people and outside of technology, they know, where well, I say for sure, they have a fairly strong foundation in their own wholeness, they will get through. Mm. There is nothing that social media can do that is stronger than a deep sense of wholeness. Mm. It can't damage it. It can't break it. It can't cut pieces off it. It can't minimize it. It may put a whole bunch of sort of accessorizing around it for a while, but those young people will see through it. Mm. Um, and so that's a real uh, invitation for parents and teachers and anybody working with children through to young adults that all the time we spend worrying or talking about the dangers of social media would actually be much better spent making sure that these young people know they're just valued mm. and uh, and we wouldn't change a hair on their head. Like one of my phrases with my kids is, you know, there is nothing about you I would change. And the more I say it, the more I believe it. Mm. I obviously said it for quite a long time without mm. meaning it because one has <laughs> to often hear things. And I think then beyond that, as as adults, I think those of us who didn't grow up with quite the same technology, there is also a vulnerability where we actually don't know how to navigate it, probably quite as well as young people do mm. in terms of uh, we sort of love it and hate it, whereas they all mostly sort of love it, I think. So we can have a real contentious relationship with our own lives mm. if we don't accept the place of technology and communication and accessibility because most of us who didn't grow up with it are using it for our own advantage, for work, for entertainment. And so one of the things I think probably is really helpful to Green Brain is to just sort of settle into the fact that this is the world we live in mm. now. And there is nothing fundamentally damaging mm. about it if we know how to invest in practices and strategies and understandings that keep us absolutely able to get into that green brain, mm. shalom, wholeness state whilst the world is whizzing around us and, um, and that we don't have to get off the bus and go and find a lifestyle plot in the middle of nowhere in order to be okay. Mm. Um, I suppose for, well, probably for as long as humans have been uh, around, it, I think the temptation as you get older is to lament how times have changed, you know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and how things used to be much, you know, I don't know. Uh, we, we, we like how things used to be. I think that's a, it seems to it's come naturally to us. Uh, and so that idea of settling into the world as it is rather than, and we, you know, I think we've seen even in the world at the, at the moment, um, that idea that we want things to go back to how they used to be can actually become a very harmful ideology, right? Yeah. Um, rather than being able to actually inhabit the world as it is. Yeah. Um, let's come back then to kind of where you started um, as we talked about wholeness, which is uh, you were talking about your own experience of coming to, um, I don't know, uh, uncover or inhabit or find that sense of wholeness that is already there, and that, and and from what I'm hearing, you say this is this is much more important than I don't know looking at our lives and trying to snip out all the unhealthy habits or trying to you know find all the things that we're supposed to fix or correct or patch up. Um, yeah. So, and, and you mentioned the word practices a couple of times. How how do you um, 
how do you approach that with people you work at with or, or for yourself as well? What are, what are some of those things that help us move perhaps both from orange brain to, to yeah. green brain or help us to tune into or connect to that sense of um, wholeness, of, of shalom, of Imago Dei that, that does reside? Yeah, oh, I love this question. Um, so I think I work probably not intentionally but just sort of intuitively at two slightly different depths. So most of my mindfulness training is with people that don't necessarily, um, uh, you know, need any form of spirituality as part of their lives. They're not looking for that, but they are looking to de-stress and to slow down and Mm. to be present and to feel some sense of being alive and not being in a rush the whole time. And so the practices, there are four or five, but the two dominant ones that I work with, the first one is mindfulness, which probably everybody has some idea of what it is Mm. um the really simple description that i use is just paying attention with curiosity and kindness Mm. so pack and it means taking two or three minutes every day no longer if you don't want to um more if you get to like it but start little and do it rather than start with a lot and sort of quote unquote fail yourself Um, And it just means settling into either noticing your breathing or noticing one or more of your senses. Mm. And we use breath and senses simply because we have them all the time. If you need a yoga class to do this, that's fine, but you can't access it regularly unless you're going to, you know, leave the kids at home and hop out for a a (laughs) yoga class whenever you feel like it or a glass of wine, you know, absolutely fine end of the day, but we can't grab one at any point in the day and kind of calm the system down because eventually that will come back to bite us yeah wine before breakfast is not usually the best way (laughs) it has been known (laughs) um so for me i i'm lucky i work from home so my practice is when the kids uh, oh please god when lockdown is over when the kids will go off to school (laughs) i settle down on my beanbag with a coffee and i take i do a few more than three to five minutes just because i love it but i settle down and i just notice Usually I personally do it with the eyes, my eyes shut and sitting because it calms my brain. Other people sitting and doing nothing makes their brain speed up. So they probably are better doing it walking mm. or even, and you can do this in the shower. It doesn't have to be added to your day, but you intentionally take your brain out of the um, planning the day or imagining the day or worrying about yesterday um, or rehashing another conversation with somebody that you're probably never going to have with them. Um, and notice the temperature of the water or the air outside or the shape of the coffee cup in my hand or the smell of the coffee. And literally it can feel like such a boring and pointless exercise initially because it's not productive. But actually the brain is screaming for this just to be able to, the body and the brain to be present in the same place at the same time Mm. so my brain is actually paying attention to what my body is currently experiencing and all the stress and all the happiness even research shows that when our brain and our body are in the same place at the same time we produce serotonin in the system and not only is serotonin feel like a well-being hormone but when serotonin starts to come into the system cortisol gets the message and adrenaline to reduce right because if I'm feeling any of it, I can't be in the middle of a road with a car coming towards me. Mm. So the brain literally goes, oh, a little bit of safety. need to get rid of those other hormones because they're not helping me. Mm. Obviously, conversely, it means when we start to feel stress, our serotonin dumps right. because it's not beneficial. Mm. But it means we can actually, this is another like image thing, but... <laughs> I just put a pen in my mouth. (laughs) If you put a pen in your mouth, your smile muscles go up, you produce serotonin in your body. Is that right? So, yeah, we can play with the system. Now, that obviously, stick a pen in your mouth is not a solution to a mental health (laughs) journey, but it's amazing to know that you can Mm. actually play with the hormones in your body, Mm. both with a physical thing or even in your imagination. If you're racing around, you can imagine sitting on a beanbag holding a cup of coffee if that's your the happy place mm. and your brain will go there and will produce the hormones as if you're there. Mm. So these practices, especially if you do them daily, 
your brain starts to take you there because the brain loves repetition in automation. Right. So the brain now goes, oh, we do two or three minutes of green brain each day. So next time you're, I don't know, topping the vegetables and you're about to cut your finger off because you're thinking about something miles off, the brain will start to pull you back. Mm. Say, oh, I see the carrot, see the knife. I'm actually topping a vegetable here. Oh, and sometimes, not always, but even little things like gratitude emerge. So I'm um, lucky that I've got a carrot to chop. And sounds really basic. I don't teach gratitude in terms of trying to do it, but mm. I do teach noticing because noticing, especially in a you know COVID world that we live in at the moment or, you know, with what's going on in Afghanistan at the moment. Yeah, we're in level four lockdown, but actually... Um, and it's mm. not about I want to make myself think these things to sort of make me feel guilty. It's just that paying attention with curiosity and kindness almost inevitably leads to a deep sensation of safety, simply because mm. it is actually our reality. We are mostly, unless obviously you're dealing with a life-threatening illness or something mm. like that, in which case mindfulness works in a very different way with acceptance. But mostly if we are relatively safe, that practice will cause your brain to start to, we call it rewire in the science of neuroplasticity, where mm. your brain uh, pathways actually start to get some traffic down them in the, in the mindfulness way and they open up and now become available. Mm. Um, if I'm working with somebody that has a, a kind of yearning for more Imago day, more uh, I, I want to know who I am in the eyes of, God or a sort of sense of spirituality we take that practice a little bit deeper and that sensation of being present with our senses then becomes present with our spirit and that but it's a really similar process mm. you've already triggered the hormones that tell you that you're alive and whole and probably loved and probably loving and probably peaceful mm -hmm. and it's really difficult to say this isn't how I'm made in the image of God. Mm. Like, how could this, how could this not be? Um, and so that, that practice just goes a little bit deeper, maybe sits a little bit longer, doesn't figure anything out, doesn't try and improve anything. Sometimes has a mantra, I'm loved or mm. I'm imperfect, but loved you know there's lots of things we can add to it but it's not to create something it's to affirm the existence of mm. that thing just so that our brain is reminded um so that's the first practice mm -hmm. and that goes at two depths shall i go on to the second yes i'll just make a, you want to ask uh, anything um, about that i think what strikes me is is you're talking about that that curiosity and the noticing and that allowing things like gratitude to to emerge if you like contrasts i suppose for me with sometimes you see kind of what some people call it like a toxic positivity right where um where you're sort of trying to force yourself into this space of and and so the, instead of having this mantra that helps you tune in you're instead trying to sort of beat yourself over the head with these positive vibes so that you can um almost deny the reality of what is in, in search of, of something else. And so I think that can be very tempting. And, you know, as people even in lockdown sit there scrolling through, I don't know, uh, people who are at lockdown at home telling telling everyone how to live their best lives and the 10 things they should be doing while they're on lockdown to, you know, <laughs> uh, make it all count. Um, that kind of toxic positivity can be yeah. really unhelpful. Um, and yet this this invitation to curiosity and to... Um, and to, to noticing. What was the, the, the pack? Was it pack? Pack, P-A-C-K, paying attention with curiosity and kindness. Paying attention with curiosity and kindness. Um, seems to me to be a, a much um, more, well, for me anyway, hopeful way of connecting to that sense of, of wholeness rather than yeah. some kind of pseudo-positivity. Um, yeah, and I don't think our whole selves are positive. I think they're whole and vulnerable, which sounds like a contrast. And I think is one of those uh, both end ideas that my brain cannot get itself across. <laughs> but our wholeness is has to be vulnerable for it to be whole. Mm. Our wounded selves are the, are the perfect ones. Our whole selves are the 
vulnerable ones, which means when you mm. sit in and allow and notice, like for me, I mentioned in our, as we chatted before, that my mum and my dad both passed away in the last 12 months in the UK. And I just noticed a couple of times sitting in that place of just going in to it, uh, my grief welled up. Mm. And I hadn't really been thinking about them for the last few days because I've been thinking about lockdown. So I didn't feel a deep sense of, of positivity at all. Mm. Um, but that's what my essential Imago Day self is needing to express mm. and mm. include. So, yeah, positivity for me is a bit of a dirty word. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's, uh, if you had any other practices you wanted to mention. Yeah. Did you? yeah? Okay. So the second one, which is a little bit more proactive, mm -hmm. um, is an emotion processing practice. And it's really important for uh, the triggery world that we live in. So um, assuming we have some access to green brain and we know what it's beginning to feel like in our body and in our spirit, if that's important to us, um, we will, even if we start to have that as our default brain setting, we will be regularly triggered out of it. And sometimes that's just by busyness. But the science shows, the research shows that 95 plus percent of our triggers are actually the meanings we make of ourselves in stress mm. so the shoulds the shouldn'ts and the comparisons so it's not i'm too busy but i'm not good enough i'm not competent enough others are able to manage etc mm. etc et that's the actual stress and so when we dip below the stress to what we feel um we begin to be able to bring ourselves into a, a wholeness that's uh, inclusive of our triggers and usually of our childhoods um, so what the practice that I use um, all the time with clients is just a really simple practice where you notice the trigger. So you take your focus of attention away from the trigger, the person, mm. the weather, the incident, whatever it is, either in the moment, that's if you've practiced for a while. Generally, it's afterwards, after the mess and the bonfire and the yelling and whatever, you would have a little moment with yourself and notice when you first felt the trigger, where in the body you felt it, body's Body Holds the Score is a mm. wonderful book that you may have read by yeah. Bessel van der Kolk, but beginning to be understood in you know popular language now. Mm. We feel our truths in the body first. So you notice where you felt the emotion, whether it was hot or cold or fizzy or tense or tight, and then and then you name it. Is it anger? Is it fear? Is it sadness? Is it rage? Is it disappointment? Is it feeling overwhelmed? And then you just let it know that it makes perfect sense. Mm. You use the words, hey, feeling of rage. <laughs> makes perfect sense. He just did that again. And as we do this, our brain starts to become comfortable with the fact that people trigger us and we trigger ourselves as well. Mm. And so we just take that process. It makes perfect sense given the situation and then add a little bit of depth. It makes perfect sense given my childhood. Sometimes there's nothing there. It's just your baby woke up for the 65th time and there's no childhood story. You know, you weren't woken up to, you know, by your parents just for fun. As a child, there's no story there, but mm. mostly are regular triggers. There's some feeling of um, connected to, because all of us as parents don't do parenting perfectly. So all of our children grow up with some uh, messages that aren't ideal. Mm. Um, that they have to work through that's normal and so when you have a situation where maybe um you comparing yourself with somebody and you notice that feeling high feeling of envy high feeling of you know, inadequacy it makes perfect sense given this situation sort of but often it's stronger in the current situation you know that person literally just walked past me and looks better turned out than me it could mm. be as simple as that and then you go into makes perfect sense given my childhood. And usually you'll feel a deep or just kind of reminder of the fact that maybe you didn't, maybe a parent commented on you putting on weight or something really simple, really, you know, it's normal. We parents get stuff wrong all the time. And But when we can process that with that beautiful sense of coming back home to the Imago day, to the wholeness, then we can take that trigger and just, uh, it's kind of it's called reparenting and and sort of psychological language, mm. but it's really just taking care of yourself, just like you take care of a friend. And God, it's really tough when you see somebody who makes you feel a bit envious. <sighs> makes so much sense. <sighs> take a deep breath, 
back to center and off we go again. Mm. And again, that practice can be with or without going into that deeper place of wholeness. Mm -hmm. It can just simply be a, oh, triggering into stress. Mm. Makes perfect sense. Background to the beginning. And when I started doing that practice, I did it probably 150 times a day because <laughs> I'm a very emotional person. Mm. But it can never really be overdone because having a lovely relationship with our own vulnerabilities is really the key to coming back home mm. uh, quicker and quicker each time so good um it's i think very tempting and perhaps this can transition us into maybe the last question um but i think it's very tempting for us when those parts of us i don't know whether they're triggered or we feel those feelings um that we would rather not feel yeah. to attack those parts of ourselves or to mm -hmm. or to see those parts of ourselves as the enemy to be, you know, snuffed out or exercised or, you know, to, to get rid of that part of ourselves or, or, or to reject it um, rather than to understand it and to mm -hmm. accept uh, and to be able to say, yes, actually, it makes sense why I would respond that way. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of, it's perhaps counterintuitive to, to the instinct that many people have when, yeah. when that stuff happens because uh, perhaps because we don't want to understand it or accept it mm -hmm. um, and so we want to push it away. Uh, but it seems to have the the opposite effect, um, which which does lead me into I guess the, the the final question, which relates to spirituality more specifically, mm. and whether in you know in in the people that you work with or however you want to approach this question, um, the ways in which you see spirituality itself or faith um, either helping or hindering us in that sense of finding that grounding, that wholeness, that, that sense of peace in our lives? Yeah, it's, um, this is one of those areas where I feel like I'm so in the middle of the journey for myself that mm. I'm almost hesitant to answer with any kind of certainty. But I, I have a really uh, strong sense that there is a line, and it's not a black and white line at all, but where there's a, a almost um, somehow we've turned our faces in the wrong direction um, in much of the spirituality I'm familiar with, which is Christianity more mm. than any of the other world religions. That's the one I've grown up in. Um, and that somehow we have interpreted a gospel of original blessing if you like that original creation in the image of god um into original sin in a way that has become a a kind of long long story such that we've landed in it in the original sin stage and everybody's trying to get back in some different shape or form through uh you know different understandings of the story of jesus in the cross back to some original blessing but we all sort of know we're never really quite going to get there because okay. actually that means being perfect and somewhere in this muddle there is a uh, we have lost this sense of um currently existing in life in uh in a deeply spiritual sense in the world mm. and so for me i I have really shifted my spirituality personally away from that idea into the idea that I think we can definitely come and go um, with many obstacles around that deep sense of original blessing and original inheritance, if you like, of being divinely created. Mm -hmm. um, but that the that original divine design is uh, is not going anywhere. Mm it's there from the start it's there till the end and it's really much more about how our relationship with that sense of ourselves um and our divine selves in the world i don't mean we're god what i mean by that is that the the, the god part of us connects with the god part of the universe in a in a loving peaceful connected way and and life is tricky. And so we move away from that in so many ways by the actions of others, by the actions of ourselves, by our thoughts and feelings. But the, the overarching story 
of the idea that we start off in a place of separateness and brokenness and that we are somehow either by belief trying to get back to wholeness or by activity trying to get back to wholeness for me that has been one of the most devastating interpretations of spirituality mm. that i can imagine mm. um, not just the damage it's done in my own life but that i see week in week mm. out with clients who come to me with this deep brokenness who have worked so hard to somehow digest metabolize that form of spirituality to find a wholeness and the sad truth is that we go further and further and further and further from home mm. the more we try and uh, improve what is unimprovable on and i think it's richard raw one of my favorite authors who says we cannot gain what we've already got mm. that's um yeah that's a really beautiful place to land i think because what well for lots of reasons i think as i think about faith and spirituality is um a big part of my life both personally and professionally <laughs> um you know i think I, I see the ways in which we are tempted to use faith spirituality um our religious practices as the fix and as the thing we're going to use to try and in a sense it becomes like um, any of the other things in our lives that we're using in exactly the same way uh, to, to try and fill the you know <laughs> the the classic idea of there's a god-shaped you know hole in your heart that only god <laughs> can can fill um kind of turns god into just another um object if you like, that we're trying to acquire and scramble for to, to get to to make up for the sense of lack that we feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I and I and I agree that I think that that ends up taking us in exactly the opposite direction from from where we would hope to come to, which is being able to tune in and inhabit that sense of wholeness that actually resides um, mm. yeah. within. So yes, it's beautiful. So much to chew on and think through um, <laughs> yeah. I I may even just take a couple of the little practices and the acronyms and things like that and, and throw them in the notes for for the episode yeah um, I really appreciate you taking the time Absolutely. a lockdown after rainy afternoon um, yeah thank you Shirley. I love it deep conversation at 1 30 on a rainy Saturday afternoon <laughs> perfect great. yeah thanks so much pleasure